0: We are stronger together, aren't we? That's right. So all you men, hopefully you'll be joining me um, yeah, at Strong Conference on November 3rd and 4th. It's going to be a great time. And for students, the, all the youth, it is free for youth to come. So they they're, they can sign up for free and no worries about that. And that's from junior high, junior high up. They can all come and it's going to be an amazing time. So we look forward to being there. And if if you're trying to figure out, well, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord as a, as a man? This is the perfect time to come out and see how, how, what that looks like. See what it looks like to be strong in the Lord, because it's going to be great. We'll have lots of fun and great food as well, because uh, those things have to go together. Um, but yes, that's coming up real soon, so make sure you go online and register for that. As we enter October, yes, it's October, and yes, Ingrid, it is fall, not <laughs> summer. <laughs> we're entering a, a new month of, a, like, a different book of the Bible. We're still in the same season of Heartstrong this fall, going through what we're going through and having a, a, a focus on Sabbath and finding our rest in the midst of the busy world we live in. Uh, we enter again, like I said, a new gospel account. We've read through and, and preached through Matthew, and now we're into Mark. And each gospel offers a unique view or a particular view of God in relationship with us. And John Mark, uh, it seems, is the spiritual son of Peter, And again, if you have your Bible with you and you're following along, absolutely great. If you have a paper Bible and you're making notes and putting notes in your Bible, even better. The best Bibles are marked up Bibles, ones that show all the places where God spoke to you, highlighted something for you to learn and grow from. So we know he is a spiritual son of Peter and we can see that from 1 Peter 5. So if you were making a reference there, 1st Peter 5, you we can see that he, John Mark was a spiritual son of Peter. He was the cousin of Barnabas. And we can see that in Colossians 4:10. And we know that his mother, Mary, she hosted the infant church in her home in Acts 12:12. 12, 12. So there we can paint a picture of who exactly is Mark, right? Who is this guy named Mark that's writing the gospel? Because we we can get confused by all these people and their names and why they're there. And we only know them by their first names. And yet we've got this gospel according to them. And Mark's account seems to rely heavily on Peter as a source. Again, that makes sense, being a spiritual son to Peter and and following Peter around and being discipled by Peter. He was a writer for Peter even, and we can see that in some external uh, sources from scripture that speak to um, Mark being a writer, somebody who would write things down for Peter. The writing style and the themes, they match Peter's style and heavy emphasis on the cost of discipleship and serving. If you've read, uh, you know, First and Second Peter, if you've read them, you, you realize how much Peter puts an emphasis on this is going to cost you. And it, it might actually even physically hurt you. It may even cost you your life to follow Jesus. He puts a heavy price on the fact that when we give up our rights to our life in Christ, it will have an effect on you. You cannot go through life unscathed as a follower of Jesus. It's going to cost you something. It's a gospel of of action. It's a gospel where where it speaks to the fact that, and if you knew Peter and, and, and Mark as his disciple, they were men who did stuff, right? Oftentimes they would do stuff before they actually thought it through, didn't they? When we look at Peter, But we see that this is what his gospel is going to look like. As you read through Mark this month, if you're following along and heart strong, and I hope you are, you'll see that it just goes from one place to another. They were here, and then they were there. And then he said this, and then they did this. And then it's a lot of miracles of power stuff happening, and then they just move on. As compared to Matthew where we have these big, long sermons of Jesus, where he talks about the heart of man and how we have to work through things, Mark says, that's nice. Let's get stuff done. You know? And we need both though, don't we? We need both. We need to be able to hear that this affects our hearts and this should affect us deeply, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we need to contemplate the cost of it. And then there's also the other side of going like, well, sitting there and thinking about it is good now let's get some stuff done. We need both sides of it. And so we're going to see that as we read through Mark this month. And the work of Mark helps us answer questions of who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? Read it with those questions in mind as you read through Mark this month. Who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? And for us today, we will explore this as we look to answer this question. Do other people know whom you follow? Do other people know who you follow? Does your understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him result in others knowing that you follow Jesus? Let's read how Mark starts his gospel. We'll read through chapter one of Mark, verses one to 11, if you're following along. And we usually read through the ESV version here, if you're watching, going through on a digital version, that's the, uh, the version that we're using. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, he lays it out there for you right there, doesn't he? As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, Who will prepare your way the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his paths straight and John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan confessing their sins Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And while he preached saying, after me comes one, or sorry, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you, are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for Mark's gospel account. We thank you of the perspective that he will bring, inspired by you, writing out a gospel account of who you are, Jesus. What it means to follow you. The action it takes in showing that we're following you. And so God, I pray that this month as we read through it devotionally, as we talk about it in, in, in HeartStrong, uh, on Zoom in the mornings, in the evenings, as we, as we allow it to sink into our lives, even on Sundays as we preach through it, God, may it, it affect us. May it affect us in ways that makes it undeniable who we follow and who our lives point to that it points to you alone, Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen. Now, this passage that we're talking about here, it may seem like it's actually mostly about John the Baptist where, or John is the central character. But like it says, John was there and he was doing what? The very thing that we talked about, pointing to someone greater. He was sharing the good news of a savior that was going to come. And when answering, uh, when it comes to answering the question, who does your life point to? Does it point others to, to Jesus or to point him to other places? Mark's gospel answers this question with three markers right away. Mark tells us through John that this, that Jesus is good news there's one coming that's going to change everything. Mark tells us through John that it's new, but yet it's actually the fulfillment of something old. It was planned and prophesied by God. That's why he he quotes Isaiah talking about someone who will come in the future. Jesus isn't just new on the scene, he needs the latest fad in a whole string of saviors for Israel. He is the Savior, the one that everybody else is in imitation of. The true Savior has come, the one God had predestined to come right from the beginning. Jesus also tells us through John that he, John, is preparing the way for others to see Jesus. That's who John is, someone who points to Jesus. And when it comes to pointing others towards Jesus, there's some questions that we can think about. Is what I believe and share about Jesus good? Do what people hear me talk about when I talk about Jesus, when I talk about my faith, when I talk about what it looks like following Jesus, does Jesus come off looking good when I talk about him? Do I continue the story do I see myself as part of a grander vision of what God has been doing since the very beginning? Since sin entered the world and Jesus said, I've made a way that's going to come, do I find myself a part of this story? And do I accept that my life either clears or clutters others' ability to see Jesus? When they look at my life, does my life help point them to Jesus or to other things now often after getting this far in a gospel into our discipleship some of us mistakenly believe that our lives only point to Jesus if we're absolutely successful if we've got all of our ducks lined up and everything that we do seems to be in total alignment with Jesus and then we're like yeah yeah I'm I'm doing pretty good at pointing to Jesus and when we seem to be off on that and we don't seem to be following Jesus quite perfectly and we make mistakes and we stumble along the way, we're like, man, I'm really bad at pointing people to Jesus. Let me, let me tell you something. It is true that our sin that are falling short and our failures, they never honor Jesus. That's true. But they can be profound testimonies to show others who are lost in their brokenness, in their failings, how to turn to Jesus, how to trust Jesus, how to take ownership of what we do wrong and ask Jesus for repentance and forgiveness and strength for tomorrow. How we respond to our moments of brokenness, speak to a lost and broken world of the very thing that we ask them to do, repent because the kingdom of God is here. If we live lives where everything we do looks perfect on the outside, and that we never fail and we never take a misstep, then we do a disservice to the very people that we're asking to understand what repentance looks like. This is why John, or Mark would write, that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. For the forgiveness of sin in that moment John where is he he is present where God is needed most he's in the wilderness and you may think wow the wilderness why is God needed there in the wilderness have you ever been in the wilderness spiritually or literally have you ever been in the wilderness in your life is that not the very place that you would hope somebody is pointing you to, to salvation, to help, to where to go? Is in your wilderness, in your lostness, where everything around you doesn't seem to meet the needs that you have? That's exactly where you want someone who can point you in the right direction. But John is also not just present, he's also proclaiming how we must move towards God. <laughs> He's not just saying that somehow up there there's going to be something for you. He's saying, and this is how you're going to have to access this. It's going to come at the cost of repentance. It's going to come at you humbling yourself before God. It's going to come with you saying, I tried myself and I ended up in the wilderness. So John's present. He's proclaiming, but also John is promising hope, that God is so good that he will forgive your sins. He will right what is wrong. He will see that sin no more in you. You will be white again. You will be clean from the sin. For John and those who came near him in the wilderness, their baptism was tied to their repentance. The act of confessing, repenting, dying to self, and rising to new life into the forgiveness of God was both the fulfilling of John's purpose in that moment and the beginning of purpose for those who were made new. John knew that his mission was to proclaim that Jesus was coming and to baptize those that needed repentance of sin, who wanted to make themselves clean, who wanted to right what was wrong in their lives. He knew that that was his mission, and as Jesus came, John knew that he must decrease in order that Christ may increase, that his role was always to point to who Jesus was. And while your life may not bring all of, the SDG counties in Cornwall out to church, your light that you're shining may not be that bright to be able to bring everybody into church. I wholeheartedly believe that if you are present where God is needed, if you are proclaiming in action and word how to move towards God in promising genuine hope, people will listen those that can see your light will respond. So let your light shine in your circumstances. The good and the bad. When things are going great, point to Jesus. When things are going bad, point to Jesus. When you do well, point to Jesus. And when you don't do well, point to Jesus. In life, you are not responsible for the outcomes. You're not. You're not responsible for your friend's salvation. You're not responsible for your kid's salvation. You're not responsible for your parent's salvation, your sibling's salvation. You're not. You're only asked to be obedient and pointing them to who Jesus is and what he can do. That is what you're responsible for. Light shines, but Jesus lifts. And just like John, our light is going to point to Jesus from our unique vantage point and our unique style? Because when we look at John, right, what does it say about him in Mark 1 6? It says, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Well, well, there you go. If you don't think you can witness, if you don't think people wanna listen to what you have to say, Try putting on some camel hair, a leather belt and eating wild honey and insects and go out and spread the gospel because apparently it works, right? Apparently it works really well. John was certainly unique, wasn't he? Certainly unique. I'm unique. You're unique. Ingrid, well, she's great. God God does not expect you to be anyone other than who he has created you to be. Who you are is uniquely positioned for God to do what he wants to do. You're gonna go places, see people, you're gonna be able to shine a light in ways that nobody else in this campus is going to be able to shine a light. There's a specific place for you to reflect Jesus as your mate, with your circumstances, with the challenges that Jesus is helping you overcome. You are there for that purpose. He needs you to be like him, as you, not as me, not as any other celebrity that you've seen following Jesus. Paul, yeah, Paul talks about it. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. But it wasn't in the exact mannerism. He wasn't asking them to become apostles going from city to city to city all over the region. He wasn't asking them to do that. He was asking them to live their lives fully submitted to Christ, obedient to him even unto death. To say, everything I have is not mine. It's actually his. And I'm not going to be a burden on anyone at all in my life. I'm going to lift people up, not tear people down, not weigh people down. If people want to support me, I'll only let them support me if it's not a burden to them. That's the type of following he asked people to do as he followed Christ. There's another lesson for us with crazy John the Baptist. For John, he used all of his possessions, how limited they were, The stuff that was a part of his life. Camel's hair. I don't even know how you use that. A belt and a crazy diet. He used who he was, the conditions that he chose to live in, the distractions that he got rid of in his life so his sole purpose could be pointing to Jesus. Even with the few things that he had, they were to point to his ultimate purpose, to glorify God to lift Jesus up. And the stuff that we, can ha- we have, it can be anything. It can be your physical attributes. It can be acquired skills that you have. It can be the material possessions that you, you gain over time. It can be your spiritual gifts that, that God has given you with. It'll be your life experiences that you have and that nobody else has, or the natural abilities that you have that are unique to you That's all the stuff that we gain over our lifetimes. Some of that stuff, even though we think, man, I don't have a lot materially, but all that other stuff that we have is a wealth of stuff. So when people see the stuff that you have, the stuff that you're made of, whether it's a little or a lot, where does it point them? Where does it point them? The pitfall is when our, our possessions and our stuff, they take precedence in our lives and they're positioned for people to focus on, not to point them to Jesus, but just to focus on the fact that you have it, that you made it, that you got it. And if they see anything past stuff, it points solely to us. Whereas the opportunity is in people seeing purpose in what God has gifted us with is, and is in us that points to him, that speaks of the sacred and holy that's beyond our limits. So what does it look like not to allow our stuff to become the driver of our hearts? Not for us to live looking that everybody's gotta see the things that I've accumulated, the way I'm living my life, how everything is all, put together and see that I'm successful, how does it look for us to not live that way, not driven by that? What does it look like for us to use, but not abuse all that God gives us as gifts? It looks like actively knowing the work is finished on the cross, that you add nothing to it, that none of your material possessions are going to be the thing that saves they're not going to be the thing that wins the day jesus has accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished on the cross it is finished it looks like humbly allowing the holy spirit to give you a posture that's similar to john because in mark 1 7 saying it says he preached saying after me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. What posture do we take with Jesus? What posture do we take when we we reflect Jesus or we point to Jesus? Does he have such an elevated place in our lives where we look at it and go like, man, if he walked in the room, I couldn't even take off his shoes for him. He's so holy, he's so, he's so set apart, that he, he's so amazing that I'm not even worth doing that. I can't even be the valet for his car. I can't do anything for him because he is God. That's how much greater he is. Do we take that posture? Even as people see the physical attributes, skills, possessions, your spiritual gifts and abilities, do they also hear and see a message in humility pointing to Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, the head of the church and our soon and coming king? John was clear that his purpose was in response to who Jesus was. Even though we see John actually leading the way, that he began his ministry before Jesus began his, but he knew that his ministry was actually in response to who Jesus was. He was a forerunner of something much greater. So like John, we could be lighting the way for others, pointing to Jesus. And again, we do so by being present where God is needed most. Whether close to the kingdom or completely lost, it's still a wilderness and we are needed to be present. We're needed to be proclaiming how, mu- how we must move towards God in repentance. Speaking of who God is should include the fact that we need to repent for our sins. Turn to him and trust him for salvation. John preached repentance, and God calls us to repentance. So we proclaim repenting. The third one, promising hope, because God is so good, and he will forgive your sins. Chains will be broken. Lives will be healed. Eyes will be opened, because we reveal who Christ is. So let's be careful that our stuff isn't all other people see. In doing this, uh, all of you join me in doing something you may have never thought you would do. If you do those three things, if you be present, if you proclaim and you promise, guess what you're doing? You're preaching. You're preaching. You may not ever come up on a stage and preach, but your life, your actions and your words with your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, your family, when you live this way and talk this way, you are preaching the gospel. The origins of that word preach, the Latin origin of it, it just means to declare before. And if you're standing before someone, in front of someone, and you declare who God is and what it looks like for us to get to God, you're preaching. So I shouldn't ever hear any of you say that you can't preach. Every single one of you who has given your life to Jesus, you can preach. I once was lost, but now I'm found. You were, who are lost can be found. It's as simple as that. I've always told young people who are working their way up and trying to figure out what it looks like to be in ministry, I've always told them, in all situations, you gotta be ready to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. Preferably one of the first two. But in our walk with Jesus, we have to be ready to declare who he is, pray or sacrifice for who he is. That's just the way it is when we follow Jesus. And it's not it's 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 not something we sign up for that that's like that's the fine print. No, that's the bold print. That's the joy of saying I get to do this on behalf of Jesus. He's chosen me to be an ambassador of his gospel message. That's amazing. When God uses the light of Christ in you to get someone's attention, make sure you figure out how to point them to where that light comes from. Point them to Jesus. For you, again, this might be in friendships. It could be in a mentoring relationship that you have with someone. It could be in coaching. It could be in, as a parent pointing your children to Jesus as a leader in the community who are here at church, could be serving in different ways. As unique as we each are, we're gonna have that many unique opportunities to point to Jesus. Because becoming heart is always being prepared to point people to Jesus. Let's not be all that others can see. Let's also not create more barriers for others when we are called to clear the way for others to come and see Jesus. And one way that we have as a campus um, seen God moving in our community and how God has been using us and being a light in our community is how we minister to those in need through our mobile mission and through the various ways that each of you uh, carry on that work and caring for those who need help. Our campus has been a a healing presence in the community as we minister both to basic needs and to heart needs. And you can see that as you do so, God is doing something in our community. That this place is a place of healing and wholeness for people. And when we are faithful with a little, when we do what God is asking us to do with a little, we prove that we'll be worthy to handle more. And from that regard, God has opened the doors for more for us. We recently been able to upgrade uh, our storage space that we use for some church items, but also use as our our base of operations for a mobile mission uh, to be able to handle more items. Why? Because we believe that God has a lot more for us. Not to keep, but to give away. That God has a lot more stuff that he needs us to use in order to point to him. This past uh, week on Thursday, I just received 12 bins worth of merchandise from our Life Center care facility up in Orleans. And if you, I I wish I I put a picture up, but if, if you knew how big these bins were, They are, like, this square, like, both ways, six feet tall. Each one, each one with a couple hundred kilograms worth of of merchandise in it that we've received to be able to give away. And that's just the beginning. That's just the start. There's always going to be more of where that came from. We also have agreements in place with Matrix, locally, to start receiving merchandise from them soon and as well as other partnerships with community members in the region to ensure that we can continue to show God's love in tangible ways. God seems to be using this church to speak to the down and and those that are downtrodden and hurting and broken. God seems to be using us to speak to people that everybody else wants to forget our choice is how do we want to respond to God using us to be a light that way? How do we say, God, you seem to be giving us this stuff. How do we use it to point to you? How do we say, here's all this stuff. It's because of Jesus. How do we do that? What's well, going to play out in a lot of different ways where we're going to need to, we're going to need to work on as a group, as a community how to let this outflow from us it's going to look it's going to look it's going to look like some of us who have community relationships to be able to partner with other charities and be a blessing to them as they pour out. It's going to look like us needing to to uh, take mobile mission and expand its impact to be able to reach more places It's gonna take a little bit of work on our part because God is putting things in our hand. He's putting stuff in our laps to point others towards Jesus. Many of us are gonna need to be a part of making this work from helping do all that, form those strategic partnerships with other charities to sorting the merchandise that we get and putting it in the right places to get into the right hands to distributing it to those in needs. This will be a church family effort to be able to do this. And to start, the first need that we're actually going to have is for some strong help to move out of our current small little storage units. Those, we have the little ones with the little lockers with the slide up doors. We have a couple of those. We're going to need some people to help move us out of those things and into our larger storage space um, so that we can cancel the contract with the little ones and move over. And so if you are strong uh, and you are willing to help, maybe you have a truck or a trailer that we can load some stuff in to bring it over, I'd love for you to see me after service so that we can arrange a time to make this work so we can start that process of, of activating what God has put in our hands so that we can make a difference in our community. So find me after service and we'll, we'll make an arrangement to, to get her done. But as a church, as we purposely align ourselves with Christ, and as we realign our lives to point to Jesus, we want to deepen those connections with the practices that Jesus gave us. I totally forgot my communion. Maybe Ingrid, you can pass, pass one up to me. Oh, well, there you go. You can, we'll just trade. All right. If you have communion with you, you can, you can grab it. And if you don't have it, just put up your hand and one of our ushers will make sure they find a way to you to make sure you, you have it. In our observance of communion today, we want to connect with the reality that we are a part of the universal church. And that church is 2,000 years old. All right, Life Center's been here five years in in in, in uh, September. It was five years that we've been here as Life Center. And Pastor Shirley, I don't know how many years it was before that, as at thy word, 20? 20? So 25 years this community has been growing and being a presence, a light in the darkness here in Cornwall. But that's 25 years out of 2,000 that the light of Christ has been shining through his church. You are a part of something so much bigger than the, the weeks you've been here, the months you've been here, the years you've been here. You are a part of something that's so much bigger than that, that the church across the world celebrates the risen savior millions of Christians following Jesus to the best of their abilities, trying to point to him with their lives and everything in it. That's what we're a part of. That's a part of the practice of giving or of taking communion that we do, that it happens across the world. It doesn't matter the denomination or the specific ways that they take it. We practice communion to be a part of something both ancient but also very present and needed today. They came to remember the life, the death, and then the resurrected life of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of God and the substitution for our sin. And in doing so, we not only look back, but we cling to what he is for us today. And we look forward to the moment when this is shared with him in person. Because he said, do this. I, he said, he will not partake of this meal until we are together again. And so we do this longing for the day that we can be with Jesus face to face and share it in this moment. So we take communion. And in 1 Corinthians 11, we read of where Paul is clarifying for the church in Corinth what communion is supposed to look like. And he says this, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So together let's peel back that first layer grab the wafer let us partake of his body that is for us. in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink. God, we thank you for your love shown to us in Jesus. We thank you for his life and his ministry, his sacrificial death upon the cross for the redemption of the world and for raising him to life again. We thank you for the symbol of your transforming love. And Holy Spirit, we pray that we may be renewed into the likeness of Jesus and formed into his body pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. And as it would be throughout communion, through uh, out the ages uh, with communion, the church would often do something like reciting the Apostles' Creed. A way of tying our beliefs into the remembrance of what Jesus has done. A kind of repentance and acclamation of, or, uh, of what Jesus brought to us. So together, I'd love for us to declare our beliefs together, aligning our hearts with the mission of God, pointing it all to Jesus. And so if we can, you'll see on the screen beside you, we're gonna go through uh, the Apostles' Creed. And if you can read along with me, uh, we'll read together what we as a church believe. Let's begin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven may we point to Jesus with all that we are all that we have may it point to who Jesus is may we proclaim repentance and may we promise a hope in Jesus and life in him